to protect the earth from devastation. But do it fast and take vacation. To acclaim the shield of Stephen's love. To hit your jaw with Ruby's glove. Dakota. GC. LSS recaps the last five nights. So enjoy the show and bookmark our site. Hello, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that little intro. This is the Lunar Ceasefire Steam Universe Fan Podcast. We are coming at you with episode 39, and as we said, we are recapping the last five episodes, Steven Bomb 3, The Week of Sardonyx. I am GC13. And I am Dakota, otherwise known as Jesse. I do my best hammy, James. This was a really good bomb, I think. Um, I don't know that it was my favorite. I don't know how you could begin to... Uh, to even come close to Stephen Bomb 1, but this was still really good, and I liked a lot of the analysis and, like, a lot of the subtext we got. Well, not really analysis, but subtext we got on, like, Fusion and how intimate it really is. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, I think the episodes in this bomb were definitely thematically linked, but I think it would have been better if it was spread out one episode a week. Yeah, I I have to admit, while the first two bombs were really exciting, I'm kind of... I'm kind of getting to the point where I'm tired of um, getting all of these episodes all at once and then having these big, long dry spells. It's not as exciting when you get the answers to uh, uh, the questions that an episode poses the next night. You know, I would rather have much waited weeks in between and had a lot of time for, like, the hype to build up. Yeah, this is definitely the most low-key of the bombs, I think. I mean, I think the reason they did this as a bomb, it was probably valid because they were thematically linked, and they did help to talk about the relationship between Pearl and Garnet and, like, the role of fusion. So I can, I, I can understand why they did that, but especially because they have to be running low on episodes that they've created right now. I just don't see that it was necessary. I think it would have been just as impactful if we had to have waited a week in between yeah but you know if they're going to be airing episodes in the summer that that's no good for ratings apparently the bomb format really suits the summer quite well though well i guess i wouldn't know anything about that i do find it interesting that pearl and garnet the two gems who were most affected by pearl's trickery in cry for help Pearl had the strongest reaction to, you know, Garnet's reaction, and she had the episode that was the least about her and her dealing with it, and then we see, of course, how poorly she's still handling it in Friendship. Yeah. But Garnet, you know, she had Keystone Motel, and that was probably the episode, that was definitely the episode that was most about its focus gem, or, you know, it was about Ruby and Sapphire, who together composed Garnet, and she kind of handled it much better. Although you'd think somebody with stretchy arms could have caught Peridot, no problem. Well, I'm kind of wanting to be okay with them letting Peridot go. I think that that's fine, and I think that it's probably important for the story, because as someone else, I remember reading this, and I completely agree with them, someone else noted on the subreddit, had they caught Peridot in that episode, it would have been less impactful. I want the episode that they catch Peridot in to be about Peridot, um, and I want that to be like a, a culmination of her episode. Had they caught her... Uh, as like a conclusion to Pearl and Garnet like mending their relationship, especially when we know that like their relationship has gotten better, but it's still not going to 100, uh, be at 100%. I wouldn't have been as satisfied with that. 
Yeah, well, I think they kind of have to not catch Peridot in this episode, because like Amethyst says, catching Peridot's not gonna fix it. But, I don't know, I, I just don't want Peridot to escape so cheaply. The way she escaped, you know, toward in the end, that, that, that escape makes sense. She she had to give up her foot for it, they weren't expecting that. But her her escape from the Galaxy Warp was just kind of... Come on. I actually buy her escape from the Galaxy Warp more than I buy her escape from the old gem ship. And the reason being is because the gems weren't in sync. And so, of course, like their, their teamwork is going to get all gunked up. You're, you're saying you're buying Garnet, the one who can get hit in the head with a baseball bat and not flinch, can possibly get knocked down by Pearl, who's yelling, I got it, I got it, I got it. Well, I'm sure if Pearl has like this really super strength too, and we know she does, we know all the gems do, that she's going to have more mass to her and more like strength, her ramming into Garnet at full speed than, you know, Amethyst casually swinging a baseball bat. I don't think she was casually swinging that. <laughs> I mean, you saw how far she hit the pinata. It still didn't have the same fervor or excitement, and I think when she actually hit the pinata looking at it, she was probably swinging it harder than when she was just swinging around. But, no, I definitely, I'm I'm less okay, I'm more okay with the first Paradox Escape than I am with the second Paradox Escape, and I'm still okay with it, because as far as, like, the story pacing goes, I think it's better that she did escape here. And besides, I'm really enjoying Paradox as this wacky, like, villain. She's, she's quickly becoming, I almost hate to say it, she's quickly becoming my favorite gem. Gasp. I know, I'm sorry, Amethyst, but wacky Saturday morning cartoon Peridot is just, it does something that I didn't know I needed. Yeah, because we know from her message in Cry for Help that she's still, you know, at her core, very professional, but man, she just loses it when the crystal gems are involved. <laughs> it's so funny, too. She, like Ruby, does not handle stress very well. Well, I... I remember reading somewhere someone posted that when Peridots are actually in Earth's atmosphere, it makes them compositionally unstable. So that might be mm. one explanation of it. But I mean, beyond that, I think that it's kind of funny because she's not set to deal with something like the Crystal Gems. Like, that's not what she was made to do. And so when she has to do it so randomly and she's not expecting it, of course she's going to react like that, you know? Yeah, she's clearly surprised by the power of her blaster. She's surprised that she's able to repurpose her little stasis thing to stop Pearl from attacking her. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know how much training she's had with that equipment, but she's clearly using it in ways that are novel to her. Okay, so there is one episode that I want to talk about that I didn't get to talk about earlier in the, the bomb because I, I wasn't on, that I don't think really fits into the flow of this, the bomb at first sight, but upon later rewatching, I think fits in better. That being historical friction. Yeah, like I said, that's the one where Pearl is the least focused on. I mean, I think Jamie gets more focused than she does. I mean, I think it makes sense for them to plug in a lighter episode like this in between so many heavy episodes. But, and yeah, you're right. She is uh, less focused on the whole drama with Garnet in this episode because she's focusing on Steven being in this play and she's so excited about it. And we do get the cool Jamie gems. But what I think is really interesting and what makes this episode fit in a little bit more upon later rewatchings is the mysterious gem silhouette that we see the uh, crystal gems forming into. So my first thought with that when I thought that it had six arms was that it was a fusion between Pearl, Garnet, and Rose. In which case, I thought that was interesting for them to showcase that in the background, wherein when Rose was still around, that all three of them could fuse together like that and it not be something that they pay much attention to. But if the fusion is between Rose and Garnet, I still think it's an apt comparison because it's Garnet fusing with Rose for like this pragmatic purpose, and I think that that would probably, or not probably, I think that that offers some interesting comparison 
to Pearl tricking Garn and diffusing with her for her purposes, rather than like a pragmatic, neutral purpose. But yeah, I just I don't know how much we can read into that silhouette and yeah. maybe we'll get that in a flashback episode. I don't know. I mean, I think that the 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 crew universe has shown us pretty clearly so far that nothing is accidental. Like all of this stuff is intentional, especially for an episode like this. That really subtle world building mythology, it was going to be intentional, and that's not a silhouette of a gem we've seen so far. So if they were going to do that, it probably does make sense for them to have a fusion that involves Rose. Yeah, but I'm figuring probably Garnet and Rose in there, maybe Amethyst too. I guess I guess there would be nothing wrong with Pearl being in there, but it's not the temple form. So. It's definitely not the temple Garnet statue. Rose at a minimum. Garnet Rose and then possibly one of the other two gems. So either way, no matter who the gem is a fusion of it's definitely got garnet it's definitely got rose and with at least the two of them it can serve as a anyway i think it serves an inter- as, an in- as an interesting comparison that we can have this fusion um that was formed for this really pragmatic purpose that no one was being tricked and garnet was a part of that fusion and then sardonyx who like at first the first time she came around it was because of a pragmatic purpose they had to take down the communication of the paradox rebuild but in the later well i mean you guys saw the episode but <laughs> jamie the master of acting <laughs> that was great oh oh question that the gem on the mop where did it come from mm. i hope he didn't have to poof anyone they knew for that wouldn't that be hilarious if they asked Amethyst, hey, can you be in this play? And she was like, nope, but I'll, I don't know. I think that would be funny. I don't know where I'm going with that. It was probably just some prop. You can get plastic gems pretty readily in our world. Why not in theirs? Well, if it is just a plastic gem that they got from somewhere, then I don't know what that says about the the fan theory that humans don't wear jewelry in this universe. If they could just so easily get a jewel or a fake jewel. Well, Vidalia was very clearly showing a gold a gold band as a wedding ring in Onion Friend, so we, we've finally seen humans wearing jewelry. We've seen the jewelry store ever since Lion 2 the movie, because it's apparently right there by the movie theater, but not very many humans actually wearing jewelry, and it was a very large jewelry store. Right. I mean, I think that the most fine-tuned version of the theory is that humans don't wear jewels with gems in them. I think a lot of people have accepted that humans will wear, like, ivory jewels or, like, metal jewels. I mean, we don't usually see Lars wearing gauges, but we have seen him wearing those Halloween gauges in, um... Horror Club. Horror Club, that's right. And I haven't had the chance to listen to the podcast that went up today yet, but... So I don't know if you guys talked about this, but someone was talking about it on the sub, um, this theory, that the reason Peridot could cut off her foot and not poof, and the foot itself not poof, was because the foot wasn't actually a part of her. That at a certain point in time, the Diamond Authority, when they started making new gems, rather than letting them fully form their own bodies, which would be capable of a fusion, they only let the gems be partially formed and um, basically outfit them with robotic parts to use instead of their body. I think some canon evidence of this is the Keep Beach City Weird post that Ronaldo posted, where he actually refers to Peridot as an android. Well, I mean, that's just because she looks like an android, and that would be that would be a little bit foreshadowing the reveal of how much of her body is robotic and not simply a projection of her gem. We did bring this up, and what I think is simply the case is she just projects a body 
knowing that it's going to be augmented. So she doesn't need to put in legs if she's going to have superior robot legs. So she doesn't bother making those. I mean, that's that's a viable interpretation too, I think. But I, I just don't see how not giving them a full body could keep them from fusing because, you know, the two gems would be able to fuse and the fusion would project a new body of its own. So, I mean, the fusion wouldn't have robot augmentations, but I, I don't see how they could stop the fusion just by making part of the body metal. I don't know that it would necessarily, like, the express intent would be to stop fusion, but maybe to make it a little bit harder, right? So... If you are used to using some kind of auxiliary equipment instead of your legs to get around, and you just kind of sat around all day using that auxiliary equipment to get around, you wouldn't be very used to your legs. And if you had to use your legs to dance in order to fuse, well, I mean, you wouldn't be able to do it if you don't know how to use your legs. The same is true with your arms. Well, Peridot wouldn't have le- per- Peridot wouldn't have legs. She'd have to shapeshift some. Right. But I think the whole point of the augmentation is that they can make a body that is better than what a gem can project. So she has harder materials, so she's not going to get poofed by a hit to the chest, even if it destroys the armored body. She has a blaster that is much stronger than an innate gem weapon, because, you know, we've seen that we've seen the strength levels of what the crystal gems can pull out, and we have no reason to think that that's really going to improve too much, unless the Diamond Authority is constantly working on tweaking the innate power level of gems, and then, well, what where does that leave them as the most powerful members of society if they're constantly making people stronger? It's just safer to augment them physically rather than make the gems stronger. I guess. I don't know. I get, I'm somewhat disappointed that those legs and presumably those arms probably aren't Peridot's real body because I really liked the idea of her having the floaty fingers and just that being the way she looked. Yeah, I wonder what kind of body Peridot would choose to project if she wasn't going to have the fancy suit. Would she go for the same proportions? Probably. I think that she probably realistically is that tall. Otherwise, her arms would be shorter because of the bend of her elbow. I think that if her lower arms and her lower legs are augmented and like the uh, friendship can be seen as candid evidence of that, what I'm saying is that when you look at Peridot's arm, it looks like that is her natural arm up to about her elbow when she gets the augmented lower part of her arm, in which case maybe she just that those are her arms and they're too grasping on something like and using it as like a glove or maybe she just doesn't form in hand and she uses the the touch stubs as her hands. I don't know, but I think were she to naturally form lower arms, they would be about the same proportion and the same length. Okay, so you do think that her robotic body is keyed into about what her default proportion would be? Yes. Yeah, her default size. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I figured. Granted, my only evidence of that are her elbows and knees, but I still think that's that's fair evidence. I think that it wouldn't be hard to look at and hard to take in if some point later on in the series... She had a redemption arc, got rid of the lower arms and lower legs, and was just suddenly quite a bit shorter. You know? <laughs> that would just take some adjusting, and I don't know that that would be something that they would do. Laffy Saffy, though. <laughs> what did you think about the relationship between Ruby and Sapphire? I think that they were adorable, and I think that that was such a sweet episode. And I feel like Sapphire isn't a super relatable character. Yeah, I, I, I want to bring back up something that we were talking about, because you said maybe you're not thinking so much that she's an artisan anymore after seeing the extent of her future vision abilities, even as Sapphire. But why would her gem be placed on her hand? Because gem mm. placement hasn't been important for everyone else. 
That's what I'm wondering. Why would a gem who works, whose hand is important have this power? I don't have a good answer to that. I wish I had one. And I'm not totally sure what I would place Sapphire's role in gym society would be, but for some reason the first place my mind goes is like tarot card reading. And I don't know, because you definitely get this mystic sensation from Sapphire. Her clothes are very... Her clothes and her mannerism are very upper class, whereas Ruby's clothes and mannerism are also very lower class. And I think the way they interacted, you know, with it's always Ruby picking sapphire up and showering her with affection and you know sapphire mostly just receiving the affection and even saying i don't think you're stupid when ruby tries to efface herself it's like very like they're pulling out of the romance where you have the upper class girl and the lower class boy and they fall in love i i think they're pulling from that playbook bit with them all the signs are pointing to sapphire being a higher class gem than ruby Hmm. That's interesting. So like not only are they not allowed to not only are they not allowed to be permanent fusions, but kind of a even the difference in stations makes it worse. Although we know gems Miss Miss Sugar has said that gems of different types don't usually mix. I don't know about her being a higher class. I think that she just definitely served a very different purpose, but I'm also wanting to read Ruby's role in the homeworld less of an artisan too and more of like a grunt type warrior yeah she definitely acts like a fighter so i think that the role that sapphire would have played would have been in maybe some kind of intelligence role so we know that when they had these earlier ships um we see that technology and the home world has advanced so i think maybe at a certain point in time sapphire could have been like a navigator type gem she could have like just looked forward to project okay this is what I was on this planet. This is what's on that planet. It probably makes more sense to go to this planet than that planet. I really don't know. Like I'm, gra- I'm gra- like you, I am grasping at straws, trying to figure out what Sapphire could have done on the homeworld. But I definitely don't see her as an artisan. I think the problem, I think what's giving us trouble is, I don't know about you, but I know that I'm certainly assuming, oh, you know, Sapphire and Ruby are both, you know, short. Therefore, they both must be wide production models and there must be roughly the same amount of sapphires as there are rubies. What if sapphires are more of a specialty model, there aren't very many of them, then that means that it would make sense for them to be simple oracles. You know, they give advice, they don't make decisions, but you don't need too many of them. And then the rubies, they they might just be the expendable grunt soldiers, who knows? Yeah. I, I really do hope we learn more about the homeworld gems, though, because we have to make so many assumptions about homeworld society just to try to figure out where ruby and sapphire might slot into it i mean if our assumptions are wrong then our guesses about ruby and sapphire can't be right either i don't see why we wouldn't get an episode further delving into like the ruby and sapphire dynamic in the future i think maybe one of the biggest reveals was just that garnet was a fusion and her composite forms were ruby and sapphire and i think a lot of the thought process and building these two gems up was to like craft their personalities without too much regard for what their role would be on the homeworld. I think as far as like homeworld gems go and the role being important, we're going to see a lot more of that from Pearl in the future. Oh yeah. But I don't think, I don't see why it would be out of the question to learn more about like what Ruby and Sapphire's role in the homeworld was. Miss Sugar has her hooks in us deep, doesn't she? She does. She does indeed. I wonder the that guidebook to the that guidebook to the crystal gems. I wonder how much 
it will explain about the gem about the gems. If I recall correctly, the first article I remember reading on that noted that although Rebecca Sugar is writing the book, everything is from Stephen's perspective. So, you know, we might get it and there might be one or two little novel nuggets that we haven't gotten from the series. But something tells me most of what we're going to get is just like word of God confirmation for things that we already knew. Yeah, I I would like to see something written by Pearl, which is what I thought the when they announced it. But before they were hyping it up, I was what I thought they said it was going to be. I'd love to see something by Pearl explaining gem society, gem culture, gem history. Because, you know, that that would be my jam. Well, I don't think it's out of the question to get more of the shorts. But the Water Gems short was basically confirming what the show tried to teach us in, like, its first 13 episodes. So, I mean, we're going to have to get pretty far in the series before the gem shorts are going to start telling us anything interesting. But by then, we would have already figured that out. Much like Steven in Serious Steven. Yeah. I mean, I'm wondering what the specific purpose of the Water Gem Shorts was, because it was already confirmed at several points earlier on in the series that, you know, the gems are literally just their gems, and that their bodies are essentially hard light projections. I think it was mostly for fun. Right. True. I think the only really useful bit we got was the addition of that their hard light projections with mass. Oh, we've, we've seen that they have mass. All right. And it's nice. <laughs> uh, getting a little sassy there. Some sassy, saffy. <laughs> we need more shorts like the lion in a box. I quite enjoyed those shorts, and I feel as though I was very misled. I thought that those shorts would end up being part of an episode, and they were just standalone things that were wonderful. Yeah, just lion things, you know? So, like like always with Steven Bomso, we are left with many, many more questions than answers. But we had a good ride anyway, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be very excited when we get to go back to the once a week format rather than like these bombs, because especially when we have the bombs, we have so much coming at us all at once that I don't have as much time to sit and stew over specific things. Like I watched each episode once, maybe twice, and I haven't rewatched them since, you know, whereas when we get them like one week at a time, I'll watch them once or twice the day they air and then I'll watch them a few more times before we cast. And I feel like then we have those more novel discussions. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to a return to once every week. That that would be very preferable to me. Well, everybody, we will see you next week. We'll be back to doing retro discussions. I will see you then. I'm GC13. And I am blasting off at the speed of light. That's right. Our opening and closing music is by James Roach. For more Steven Universe fan-related content, please visit LunarCSpire.com. Thank you for listening.